welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's bi-weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as the graphic novel review editor for Publishers Weekly, and the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm their podcast producer. And uh, this week on More to Come, uh, MOCA, the Museum of Comic and Cartoon Arts Annual uh, Independent Comics Fest. Mutants and the M-Word in Marvel Comics. Marvel Man. Made fire and deviant art reach an agreement. So let's get to it. And of course, the news briefs. But let's get to it. Um, Mocha. Yep, this week, uh, well, by the time you listen to this, it'll already have happened. So uh, as we sit here, we're pretty excited about it because uh, under new ownership, as yes. they say, and yeah. you know, they're, they're promising signage, they're promising parties, they're promising they're um, a lounge and a cafe. A lounge, yeah. uh, I love how signage yeah. just makes us kind of dizzy. I with know, the anticipation. Right? Yeah, well, uh, uh, you know, signage and drayage as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, uh, you know, everybody's pretty excited about this. I think there was a lot of questions about how Mako, Moko would be going forward. Um, you know, seems to pretty much have taken its usual usual shapes. This is the first Mocha uh, after the Society of Illustrators uh, basically took over the museum, uh, recreating it within uh, its historic building on the Upper East Side. Uh, Anel Miller, the executive director, has really... Uh, reached out to put a, a new stamp on the show uh, to try to address problems and issues it's had in the past and really kind of uh, open the show up uh, to a new era. Yeah, so it's going to be exciting. Yeah, and, you know, Anel's a real dynamo. She was profiled in the New York Times recently very favorably, yeah. and uh, she's trying to bring the whole illustration world, which she's very uh, very well acquainted with, into the mocha world and merge the two. And uh, there's quite a few people from the illustration world who will be um, uh, on panels and attending at the show. So, um, you know, I, all, all eyes to Mocha, yeah. as they say, and uh, we'll all be there. I am moderating a panel on Sunday, or I, I have. As you hear this, I will have already yes. moderated a panel, <laughs> so, which I am actually looking forward to. Uh, actually, by now, I'll have really enjoyed it. So, uh, you know what? Uh, what we, If all goes well, what, what you're gonna about to hear is uh, more people who were actually at Mocha and what happened there. So uh, we'll all circle back here Exactly. We'll circle around and there'll be uh, uh, stuff to hear about Mocha. Moving right along, uh, there was a really, um, I guess, sort of, I guess we can call it controversial uh, sequence in um, uh, one of the uh, X Men stories. This Uncanny week. Avengers. Yes. Number yeah, thank five. you. Thank you. Uncanny Avengers. Thank you. Um, Kay, would you, would you like to talk about it? To kind of give us a set up. Yes. Set up the issue okay. For us? So in Uncanny Avengers number five, as written by Rick Remender. Um, Alex Summers, a.k.a. Havoc, who is, in fact, a mutant, albeit a not-physically-obvious and, as many people pointed out, white male. <laughs> Argan-looking. <laughs> but, of course, uh, goes and explains that he feels that he does not wish to be referred to as the M-word. He is a person and wishes to be referred to as Alex. And much speech fine. None of those comic book identity, pro- uh, identity politic issues for him. Oh, no. <laughs> he disavows uh, minority identity, I suppose. Anyway, so a lot of people came out of the woodwork to say various degrees of irate that this was insulting to minorities and 
an example of how to do minority politics wrong, and surely it reflected the author's personal politics in some unflattering way, and uh, it was a cause of much controversy. And apparently at first, Rick Remender, the writer, was unaware that some people were coming at this from a reasoned social justice perspective and felt that they were just being comic book trolls. So on Twitter, he told them to drown in, and I paraphrase here, hobo urine, (laughs) which he quickly deleted. Which apparently is a favorite... Not quickly enough. Yes, well, apparently it's a favorite, you know, phrase of his. He's used it before, apparently. I see how flattering But never mind. (laughs) But, yeah, the fact that he was unaware that this would cause legitimate controversy cause more people to shake their heads even further. But, you know, uh, but beyond, you know, you know, remember sort of the idiotic remark, um, which he apparently has apologized for, I'm not 100% sure, um, uh, and he seemed to be, he seemed to be, from what I can read, generally sort of like taken aback by people like saying, what are, what are you talking about? The issue around Havelock's uh, is very interesting because, I mean, Marvel has had, and certainly the, the um, the X-Men and the mutant mythology has had this parallel connection. Very kind of intentionally. With, yes, very intentionally to, to, to real social issues, to, to minorities, to African Americans. Uh, and I think really in many ways uh, this this outburst by Havelock, it, it continues. Havoc, 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 excuse havoc. me. Havelock, isn't that another character in, uh, in literature? Sorry about havoc. that. Cry Havoc, Sorry. you know. Excuse me, I'm, I'm the old fogey Marvel fan, and I just don't know all of the characters. Uh, but I'm fascinated by uh, the sequence and how it how it um, connects with Marvel's legacy of, of social. Well, a lot of people felt comics. it connected very badly. Well, I think it connects in a very real way to the real issues that um, uh, that basically I'm well, I'm connecting it to, but, basically to African American. But, I, but I, you know, the mutants have always been used, as you're saying, Calvin. They, a mutancy has always been used as a metaphor Absolutely. for otherness. I mean, a lot of uh, gay readers have embraced Absolutely. the X Men. Minorities have always embraced, uh, embraced the X Men. Yeah. And so this was very much in. Uh, in the tradition of a lot of stories and, and themes that have made the X-Men, you know, powerful uh, franchise and for his 50 years. However, let me just finish. However, unfortunately, Rick Remender, who really meant well, unfortunately, I think he came at it a little bit from the uh, mansplaining, white-splaining, uh, you know, I'm a white man, sort of, uh, you know... Clueless. If clueless. only we were blind well, to color and right. ethnic you know, group, we would all love not, each other. This is not something that's foreign to that discussion. It's not foreign to certainly the African-American interpretation mm. of how Marvel may use this thing. But really, that metaphor that Marvel uses is also used by, by as you put it, by gay people, by yeah, punk rockers, yeah, by anybody sure. that feels like they've been marginalized or pushed to the side. Certainly in the African-American interpretation of it, that's a part of the African-American tradition, too. Whether you're calling yourself black, Negro, or African-American... The way it was written is he didn't want to be identified as mutant at all. Well, actually, but that is also part of the black conservative tradition. Mm. If you look back at people like George Shiler, or a more recent... Mm. George Shiler was a black conservative from the 1920s and 1930s. He wrote a book called Black No More, which was a huge uh, uh, satirical... uh, attack on the uh, the black leadership of the time. Later on, he became a huge critic of the civil rights movement. Um, uh, uh, More recently, somebody like Shelby Steele, who wrote a book called The Content of Our Character, where he he lambastes 
the whole notion of black identity and saying that black Americans should be looking forward to integrating and assimilating. That tension between assimilation and some sense of identity has has driven the African-American you know, political agenda for many, many years. And it continues to this day. My only point here being is that it fits into it fits into the historical narrative in much the same way that Marvel always has been able to do. Well, I think that it would just would have been, uh, you know, I just think it's unfortunate that Remeter's first initial reaction was so stupid. Well, no, that sorry, spoiled Ray. the I whole mean, thing just, because it did. It did. We spent our time defending yeah. or or yeah. attacking that, yeah. and, and not I, the I, substance you know, of well, what I mean, what he, he, he totally he meant produced. well, but I, I think when he did that, it just kind of threw. The, I, you know, I got to be honest, I just blanked over on all this. I, I, I mean, I, I don't think it was uh, just to me. It was sort of a clumsy explication of a very powerful theme. And, yeah, you know, it, yeah. Just, yeah, and I would agree with you. It wasn't the best way to go about it. And I was just like, oh, not again. Yeah, I, I personally was not wildly upset by it, but I can see why people were. Yeah, uh, you know, just, another yeah. thing, Havoc's a jerk. I mean, you know, Havoc is also a jerk. So, uh, I mean, that's always been his role, to be the, the jerky Summers brother and, um, you know, cry Havoc. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it was a little bit weird. So right. It would have been more powerful coming from Storm or... Uh, well, well but she or, wouldn't. Mm. Exactly. Well, exactly. You know. So, but that's why I'm saying that she wouldn't do it. So I'm not sure mm. that it was even being set up as the right argument. And well, it's interesting. I thought the the Comics Alliance uh, article was 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 actually pretty interesting. The guy Wheeler, I think his name yes, is right. Yes, I thought Wheeler. that was a really good piece because yeah. it really kind of gave a history of it. Um, and broke I thought broke the issues down really well. Maybe in some ways, Havoc was the per the perfect one to do it because he's the most easily easy one to assimilate. Right. Right, but I which yeah. is also a criticism but, of the assimilators. Well, uh, but I'm just like, saying, I don't, I don't, I don't think it was in that case. It's like I don't think uh, that for the story, the all the implications of it were thought out very well. Yeah, yeah that the, could be the case. The the thing that made makes it seem less like a well thought out, like just one character expressing his views within the historical continuum, and more like the writer didn't think about it very hard, was the fact that when he made his ill-timed, ill-advised comment, and people called him on it, he said, well, I didn't occur to me that anyone could possibly be offended by such a sentiment. Yeah. It's such a wonderful so he sentiment had a of happiness. So he kept digging that hole and digging that so hole. So to speak. Digging that hole, yeah. I mean, so, you, know, you know, if you look at, just to look at um, um, X-Men, X-Men First Class, you know, where it, this theme is dealt with mm -hmm. at length, and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. was script by, um, um, uh, what's-her-face? But uh, all the minority uh, people and females turn out to be evil. But, well, yes, but, I mean, I thought the character arc of, uh, of um, Mystique in there was wonderful. It was. She dealt with the whole thing about this, where she went from being ashamed to being, uh, you know, don't mm -hmm. ask, don't tell, to being... Um, you know, I'm out and I'm a mutant and I'm going to jump into bed with, uh, you know, Fassbender and like who would Michael Fassbender, who wouldn't do that? So, you know, Magneto, all right, you know, empowerment and, you know, let's go. So, yeah, anyway, yeah. I, I, I think that was just a much by Jane, Jane Goldman. That's the, that's well, what wonderful I want to know. Writer. And, you know, I mean, anyway, it was well-intentioned, uh, bad execution. Is yeah. there a mutant, um, uh, mutant terminology for Uncle Tom? Cry <laughs> Havoc. <laughs> well, I'm Uncle sure Havoc. they'll eventually come don't, up with Don't one. pull an Uncle Havoc on us. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on. And this moving is uh, on you know, to one Marvel of the great, great, um, great controversy, great mysteries, great lingering mysteries of comics, uh, which is Marvel Man, the 
long-running, uh, well, long-unrunning, really, uh, serial that started out in the 50s in English comics. And if you want to know all about Marvel Man, I uh, recommend my own site, if I may, but uh, of the Irish writer Pedrago Maloid, uh, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, is serializing a book that he is writing about Marvel Man and his history in uh, in depth, in complete, like, unbelievable depth. So you will learn everything there is. But there are a lot of people who are fascinated by this tale because after being published in the 50s uh, by creator Mick Anglo, it came back in Warrior Magazine in the 70s under Alan Moore and uh, Gary Leach and was amazing and redefined uh, what was going on with the British comics at the time. And... Then it came to America, and then horrible, strange things happened involving bankruptcies, multiple bankruptcies, and Neil Gaiman and Todd McFarlane. Uh, I, I can't even get into it. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. a few. Uh, read the book. Just read yeah, the book. It's called Poison Chalice. Mad. Just Google Poison <laughs> Chalice uh, and Marvel Man, and it will come right up. And Padre will explain everything. And it has the advantage of being free. Yes, it is free. It is yes. Um, so, anyway, recently, as in a few years ago, Marvel created Havoc at Comic-Con San Diego when they announced that they were going to be publishing Marvel Man. And indeed, they did. Uh, hoping, which led, uh, except it was the old comics, not the Alan Moore ones, which have never been reprinted since they were published in the 80s. And the story was left unfinished, which Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham were going to finish. So, I, I'm sorry I'm making it sound less complicated than it actually is, believe it or not. But anyway, in April 1st... <laughs> it's a gift. Well, no, I'm making it sound, even as complicated, I've lost myself. But um, only Padre can keep this straight, and the seven or 800 other people who follow this story religiously. <laughs> uh, anyway, on April 1st, uh, Padre posted uh, on the beat that he hears that uh, things might be easing up on this. And it wasn't April Fool's joke? It wasn't April Fool's. It wasn't an April Fool's joke, but we both agreed that it would be very funny to post this on April Fool's Day and to uh, to further confuse matters because it should never <laughs> be totally clear what's going on with Marvel Man. Yes, uh, yes, and, yes, and so basically he... he what, achieve what, that. Right. And what he's hearing is that perhaps Gary Leach, who was a holdout, might have... Um, might have said Marvel, you know what, maybe uh, we can do Marvel Man now. And lending credence to some of this is the fact that Angela, Neil Gaiman's character from the pages of Spawn, is coming back in the uh, old Age of Ultron miniseries. So, so anyway, everybody, there might be a trade going on. everybody is looking at this, and uh, we all think that, you know, we, we kind of, the Vatican watchers here, we're seeing some red and blue smoke coming out of this chimney. So... I'm just analogy. saying, yes, I'm just saying, <laughs> uh, you know, the great sources seem to core. be pointing to something happening there. So maybe the long, long wait is over. As usual, at the end of a, of a discussion about Marvel Man, I'm completely baffled, confused, and I don't know anything more than I knew and meanwhile, when it started. Meanwhile, but don't let that discourage you. It's just a really interesting book. <laughs> okay. On that wait, note. Wait, what were you going to say, Kate? Meanwhile, people under 30 who have not read uh, these posts on the beat have absolutely no clue why anyone cares about Marvel Man or well, what the hell you know, he is. Well, you know, that's what I wonder, too. I do tend to think that all these people who are obsessed with Marvel Man are, uh, I mean, it's, it, you know, people who are under 30 just went and downloaded it all from, um, you know, RapidShare or whatever and, and read it. And, you know, the story's never been finished. Uh, Neil Gaiman is supposed to finish the story, and... 
Uh, that's why Neil showing up at Marvel to write this Angela story. Like that's why the Vatican watchers were like, "Oh, well, that could be a sign that well, he is." There is risen. some background on this in that. <laughs> yes, there are um, religious overtones to this. <laughs> in that, uh, Angela was part of the deal that got Marvel Man released right. to Marvel. Exactly. There was some sort of, although the result, the uh, settlement has been sealed. However, it is believed that somewhere or other. They swapped the rights for Angela, but, well, that was separate, actually. You know what? I'm not going to say anymore, because even though I reported this when it happened 10 years ago, it's like that was the original deal, but then in the 10 ensuing years of litigation, uh, or nine years that went on, um, I think Marvel Man actually ceased to be a part of the Game and McFarlane lawsuit, so... Uh, but they were connected at one point. Well, so the appearance read, of Angela. Right, 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 right. Yes, yes. Is they significant. Are all, they're all connected. It's all connected, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, if you read the Dragon's book, you like see most conspiracies. that people uh, actually <laughs> don't think that Todd ever really did own Marvel Man. And I think that's why the whole Angela subterfuge is not as uh, important as people thought for a, a long time. But anyway, uh, more, 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 more. Clear as mud. All right. It's all part of a giant web of comic book bad business practices and conspiracy. And almost always involving Alan Moore. Yes. <laughs> How is that possible? Because he, when he reads a contract, he says, oh, I don't like it, and puts it in a drawer, apparently. And then casts a spell yes, the whole yes, process. Yes. Um, fire in DeviantArt. Yes. How's this? Well, a match made well, in... Yeah, you know what, though? I, 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 just to say Madefire, I think there's a bunch of ex-Alan Moore uh, collaborators who are involved in that, aren't there? I know Dave Gibbons is involved. Uh, Dave Gibbons is and, indeed uh, involved. I'm not sure um, if Gary Leach or uh, any of the other old Alan yeah. Davis. Uh, is Alan Davis involved? Uh, I, actually, I'm English? not sure. I'm well, not the sure. English artists are involved, but anyway. For all, I'm generally not that impressed by Madefire. I think this is actually a very good move on their part because it's kind of a... Um, a different take on a uh, digital comics tool than Comixologies. Comixologies is completely, it takes the reins from you. You just pop in your files. It does the work. Whereas the concept behind this is that it gives the artist more control right. without mm -hmm. having to know how to do any programming. Mm -hmm. So that you can just use this program and you can control how it transitions into a comic and how it will move and how it will work. Um, it's you know essentially what, that's the best description I've heard yet. Yeah. <laughs> essentially, Madefire has made its digital author, digital graphic authoring tools basically have made it available as part of DeviantArt, the yes. huge um, uh, portfolio site that you know, is used by millions of artists. Yes, many of whom are the world's comic artists or future comic artists. Absolutely, and as aspiring artists, uh, veteran artists, I mean, it's it's widely used across the board. It has been for years. Weirdly, a lot of people don't sort of know about it. Not, and I'm not talking about people in the comics or the art business because, actually, I think visual artists have really flocked to DeviantArt in lots of ways. In fact, we did <clears throat> a piece about DeviantArt at South by Southwest. My colleague, Rachel Deal, did a piece about them, about how the site has become useful for visual artists to actually create sellable things and sell through the site and they kind of teased her with some information about a possible deal coming down the road about graphic novels because there are a number of artists on there already that have done some rudimentary books but this really looks like it could put graphic novel and the and the visual arts community on DeviantArt really in the self-publishing mode right. yes although 
interestingly, and it's not just for sale, you can then use it just for your own artistic satisfaction. Mm -hmm, Um, Interestingly enough, the other group that really loves DeviantArt are people who do their own Yahweh comics. Yeah. So I imagine mm-hmm. they're going to have a lot of fun yeah, with those motion a, comics. I, just, I think there's a lot of special interest groups that are embedded at DeviantArt. Yes. It's not just Yowie. I mean, no. there are a huge furry community as yes. well. And yeah, but, okay, I meant special interest X-rated <laughs> groups. Oh, yeah. <laughs> will yeah, most no enjoy <laughs> this motion yeah. comic application. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Well, well, good. Yeah. See, and, uh, I mean, I think it's smart for Mayfire. I mean, they have a, you know, I... I it's all very well intentioned, but um, I think they have a powerful piece of software yeah, that they've been I, I developing, and they have a lot of VC money behind them. Yeah. Um, but the content, yeah. as Kate says, just hasn't yeah. caught fire. Nobody's sat down and said, "Oh my God, have you read Made Fire?" But yeah, I mean, you know? I think Deviant Art might be a really good way of helping yeah. that because Deviant Art is, if nothing else, like a great example of the long tail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like only maybe ten people are buying each of these people's prints on Deviant Art, mm-hmm. but when you've got Hundreds of thousands of users. That There's really 26 adds up. Twenty-six million yeah. registered they, users uh, on DeviantArt. They said uh, in our piece for Publishers Weekly, it's the sev- actually the seventh largest social network for yeah. DeviantArt, it's, which is pretty amazing. I had no idea. Yeah. I don't know if that's. And I actually, uh, really, up until I read Rachel, Rachel's piece, I actually didn't know too much about the business model mm-hmm. supporting DeviantArt. I thought it really was just a portfolio site and that they sold advertising. But really, they have much bigger oh, plans. Yeah. They, of have they have their own economy. Yeah. They have a, a wonderful yeah. print yeah, they shop. They have their own thing. currency. Um, <laughs> like I, I bought my Christmas cards from there mm-hmm. from just a, a print of a photo by just some random independent artist who knows nothing about prints. Yeah. But it could turn them into Christmas cards just by me requesting Christmas yes. cards. Yes. Yeah. 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 Apparently, that's when they've been, they've been focusing so on one-offs, cards, prints. Yes. Uh, and the like, but there are some book. There are some and people they who have been books. books yeah, it has, Basically, uh, it has its own uh, print right. shop. And it yeah. has its own print shop. It has its own universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, as uh, as again what was pointed out in our piece, there's one comic on there that's been seen over a million times. Yes. So yes. you know, there's a lot of things that have huge audience. And getting the Made Fire technology in their hands is great for even art and great for Made Fire. Right. So it's a, you know, it's like a huge audience. And a it may put Made Fire on the map. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, with yeah, a lot yeah. of people who wouldn't have seen it just be, you know, yeah. thinking that it's more yeah. about Marvel Man or something. So, to be, to be blunt, you know? Yeah. Or, so. you know, it's yet another wannabe. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so uh, stay tuned, pay attention uh, to DeviantArt and Made Fire. Yeah. There'll, there'll be more to come. Yes. And so, Insults. from Mocha, there's more to come. Yes. Uh, well, this is Calvin Reed from the floor of uh, the Museum of, of Comic and Cartoon Art. Uh, Art. Arts Festival, the Mocha Arts Fest. Uh, we're here at the historic Lexington Avenue um, uh, Armory, and this is a really big year for Mocha in many ways. Uh, the Society for Illustrators has really taken over the direction of the museum, incorporated into what they're doing, uh, and in some ways, this is Mocha 2.0. So we're sitting here with Karen Green, a librarian, uh, an academic librarian at Columbia University, who's going to give you her accurate title, as well as a member of the new steering committee that Nell Miller, the executive director of the Society of Illustrators put together as a, a sort of outreach program uh, to the comics community. Hi, Karen. 
Hi, Calvin. How are you doing? Yes. What is your title at Columbia? My title is... <laughs> Which you told like, me before we started this, and I mangled anyway. It's okay. It's, it's a mouthful. My title is Librarian for Ancient and Medieval History and Religion, and I'm also the Graphic Novels Librarian. Those two work together perfectly. They do. <laughs> and I actually want to make a point about Please. the show being in the Armory this year especially, because 2013 is the century, the 100th anniversary of the famous Armory oh. Art Show. Ah, where very Marcel good. Duchamp's uh, New Descending the Staircase was premiered. Absolutely. And An introduction of art. modernist art to America. Exactly. Yes. So for the Society of Illustrators to be the one behind MOCA in this particular year, in this particular place, just seems wonderfully appropriate. I couldn't agree with you more. But tell, tell, tell us a little bit about what the steering committee does and, and your role in it. Well, I have been on the board of trustees of the museum, of the mm -hmm. Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art, and uh, when the decision was made to transfer the assets to the society, I was fortunate enough to be on the in the very small working group that, that handled that transition. So I got to know the folks from the society, who are amazing, Yes. and uh, they invited me to be part of this steering committee, and it was an extraordinary group. I'm sure you've spoken yes. to mm -hmm. a lot of the other people on it. Uh, it, it kind of grew. It started out uh, fairly small, and it got larger and larger and larger. Who, who are some of the other people on it? Charles it? Brownstein from the comic yeah. book mm -hmm. Legal Defense. Dan Nadell is Dan on it, or no? He's not. Excuse me. That's uh, no, right. Um, <laughs> but Leon and Barry from Secret Acres. Yeah. All right. Yes. Tucker Stone from Bergen Street Comics. Uh, Paul Levitz of Paul Levitz. <laughs> yes. Oh, good. Yes. 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 And William Hotzacristos, who is. Uh, He's connected with something called Collector Zoo. He's also a um, very big uh, purchasing guy with the Mets and so was able mm -hmm. to get uh, the society a lot of great deals on a lot of the more practical things that had to be acquired to make the show work. So it was amazing, diverse, talented, smart, comic-savvy group of people. And really, it, uh, our, our, our kind of our brief was to think about what were the things that people had liked about MoCA in the past? What were the things that people had wished could be tweaked about mm -hmm. MoCA in the past? And what were things that could allow the society to make its mark on, on MoCA Fest in particular to tie in comics with the mission of the society, which is to promote illustration? And to recognize that comics are, in, far, in fact, an integral part of, of illustration in America, of art in America. Um, I guess one of the things that I brought uh, was really something that was brought to me, mm -hmm. which was I had long wanted to uh, have an arrangement where kind of the creme de la creme of the floor could be collected and, and uh, archived at Columbia in our rare book and manuscript mm -hmm. library. And I will confess right here and now that this is completely ripped off from what SPX is doing with the Library that, of Congress. I have no shame. That's okay. Stealing good ideas is what art is all about. Exactly. Call it a swipe. Yeah, it's a swipe or an homage. I don't know which one works better. Um, and when Anel came up with the idea of the Awards of Excellence, I thought, well, this is perfect. This yes. is having mm -hmm. five people much smarter, much savvier than I, uh, much more familiar with the landscape as a whole, much better kind of eyes to assess out there making these judgments. And I've actually asked that uh, that we collect not just the, the things that won the awards, mm -hmm. but every judge's shortlist. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, and the judges were Nora Krug, 
Nora Krug, uh, Paul, Paul Pope, Pope, David Mesekelly, mm-hmm. uh, Gary Groth, and... Is that it? I think that... No. Are we leaving someone out? We are. Paul Pope, mm-hmm. Nora Krug, yeah. David Mesekelly, Gary Groth, and Karen Berger. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> Karen Berger. Sorry, yes, Karen. yes. <laughs> we love you, Karen. <laughs> Only well, somebody with yes. the same name as me. Well, they gave out the first <laughs> awards last night. Um, uh, I, I, I assume it's going to be a little bit different going ahead in the future. It's a little ad hoc, but it was very exciting. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Anel and the Society are, are very, very focused on uh, getting as much feedback from the show as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely deeply interested in hearing what people thought worked, what people thought didn't work, what people think could be tweaked. Um, because this is this is such a just a phenomenal show. You know, it, it was my first indie comics festival, you know, going back years. And uh, to me it's still the coolest festival. Okay, great. <laughs> um, and to see it looking so beautiful and the floor looking so vibrant and the gallery in the back, which was another yes, one of the another ideas. new Yeah, another new the, the exhibition in the back. Really terrific. Just yeah. emphasizing that this is yeah. art. Yeah. And this was from the um, um, Society of Illustrators permanent collection. Or, or from both, both MOCA and, and, and Society's the Society's permanent great. collection. You'll, you'll see on the captions, it'll I say see. which is great. which. All right. um, so, yeah, and, and the little museum shop. Just, you know, yeah. you know when, when Brandon Graham did the amazing uh, the art for the badges, we all looked at it and went, oh, my God, that's beautiful. It's like, can yeah. we sell copies of the badges <laughs> afterwards? And then somebody went, buttons, can we do buttons and postcards? Because how could you not want... How could you have that only be a one-shot deal? That's no, true. It's just yeah. the, the five designs are so beautiful. See, yours is very cool. Oh, you got my favorite one, actually. There you go. The press <laughs> has the best one. Uh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what we like to hear. And actually, on that note, we're going to wind up because we're going to be doing a lot of these interviews. But look, thank you so much, uh, Karen, for, for giving us some time. Always a pleasure. All right. More interviews in the news briefs in the second part of our new MochaFest special.